welcome, welcome to this retreat. I know there's quite a number of you here who are at Gaia House for the very first time, and perhaps amongst those of you who are here the first time, this is for quite a few also the very first time you're doing a retreat of this sort in silence. And so, <clears throat> in a way, an extra warm welcome to those of you for whom this is a, a first entry into the territory of which we'll be spending our time together exploring over these next uh, few days. It's lovely also to see familiar faces, and some of you have been here before and many times, and equally the faces that are unknown to me at this time. But uh, it's always something rather lovely, in fact, just to see this kind of field of humanity that arrives, appears in a certain way. And there's something for me very both touching and affirming that a group of people, some 50 or so human beings as we are here, would choose to spend a weekend engaging in the development and cultivation of the heart. And that's something so needed in our world, it seems to me. And sometimes so far away from a lot of what's going on. So it's certainly lovely for me to see you all here and I hope that for yourselves this will be a time that's really of benefit for your own lives and well-being, but equally in a, a way that spreads out and touches this world. And I'm very aware that there may be many reasons which bring you here. For some of you it might be the weekend you had free. For others of you, it might have been the theme of the retreat. Some of you, maybe a connection with myself, or or just a, a sense that this is the time to spend a few days in contemplative silence and orienting towards the capacity of our hearts that we all have for kindness, for friendliness, for warmth and caring which we all have, and yet probably, if you're like me and most people, we don't always find it as easy to access or to act from as we might wish from, as we might wish to be able to. So that I think the sense of of caring and friendliness is something very natural and well-known to us, but so too are the forces of habit, of reactivity, and of sometimes... Quite the opposite of kindness, forces of harshness, of aggression, of fear, of self-centered neediness that can sometimes override our, our deeper aspirations for our lives and our deeper wish for how we would live in the world. And so in the context of this retreat we'll be engaging in the journey that any retreat involves, which is really something of an encounter with ourselves, with life, with the way things are for us. And just by simply bringing ourselves here and staying here, that, to a greater or not so great degree, will happen without you needing to do too much more than simply be here. 
And then within that we have the opportunity to, to focus and look at certain pathways of development. And that's uh, very much in line with the theme for the weekend of, of loving kindness, which is something that the Buddha spoke of. And the Buddha was a human being. He was like you and me. He lived in a world that was complicated, difficult and messy. And sometimes people really didn't like him. You know, we think, oh, he was a nice guy. We, at least anyone who's had a lot of contact with his teaching. And for myself, it's been something really beautiful and transformative that didn't ask me to believe anything that I couldn't experience for myself before having to align myself with it. And that was something very liberating, something very uh, important for me. And that so far as the teaching of this weekend is drawing from the Buddha's teaching and the, the Buddhist tradition, for me it's also really important that it's something offered to explore and to experience for yourselves, to see, does this serve you? Is this beneficial? Is it wholesome? Does it lead in a direction that we would wish to travel? And if, and only if that is so, then one would do, in fact, any activity, engage in anything. And so this is that kind of exploration. But the Buddha, as I said, he lived in you know his world, and in some ways it was very different than our world of today. In other ways, it wasn't so different at all. Human beings had many of the challenges then that they do now. The same questions about what does it mean to be really happy? How can we live in a way in which our heart feels free? In which the, the challenges, the vicissitudes or the, the circumstances that we encounter which are painful or scary or, or seemingly sort of that we don't know how to handle, that how can we encounter a world in which this happens and yet not shrink away or close down in response to it? And I think... You know, we've all, in different ways, and inevitably we will have in our own life journeys that brought us here the kinds of experiences and circumstances that aren't easy for us to handle, that maybe lead us to patterns of reactivity or behavior that doesn't ultimately serve our greatest happiness and well-being. And so to understand that these things don't happen by accident in a way, there are processes whereby we are formed and shaped in life when we're not conscious of what's going on. But when we become more conscious and make choices about how we engage with our experience, how we respond to our life, we can't control our lives or what goes on. That's probably pretty clear to most of us already. You know, There's lots of things that happen that we don't want to happen. And there's lots of things we'd really like to happen that doesn't happen, really. Um, it's often the case. And of course there are things where we can really make a difference too. But while we can't control what happens to us necessarily, we can start to develop ways of responding to what happens to us, what comes from our, or what arises within our own experience, our thoughts, our feelings, our bodily life as well. We can learn ways to respond to that which actually conduce to happiness and well-being to freedom and to an open heart. And this weekend will be very much oriented towards and focused upon, focused towards that, that particular capacity of opening of our hearts. And ways in which the Buddha offered as practices that have been shared and explored and refined and developed and adjusted 
by people who've tried them out to see if they work and found how they worked for them. So that we'll also have a little bit of an exploration of, well, what works and how does it work for me? It's not going to be like some absolute prescription of this is what you do, it'll be like this, and if you do this, then that will happen. What I can tell you is if you engage in it, something useful will happen. But exactly how that will look, what it will feel like, whether you like it or not, that's not for sure. And so really a bottom line in, in, in the, the whole journey is, is that interest and that willingness to explore what is of benefit and value. And sometimes you're willing to also explore the territory of what's not familiar and therefore might be a little scary. Or what's maybe seems a bit pointless and therefore we might normally not bother. Because some of the features of meditation practice are that it can take us beyond what's our familiar mode of engagement, of action, of behaviour. And, and sometimes we think we want to go there, but something in us isn't so sure. And that might be part of our journey here too. So I'm saying that because the sort of the intention, the motivation that brings us here is really important. The sense of a, of a real interest. And I, I trust that you wouldn't come and spend a weekend here at Guy House like this if you didn't have a real care about your life. It wouldn't make sense to me why you would do that. You know, there are other ways one could spend a weekend. And so, so in our lives, we make an intention like this. We say, oh, okay, this is something important to me. And then we realize, of course, that there are many other things going on that demand our attention, that call us, that engage us, that say, deal with me now. Work, family, worldly sort of issues of um, potential social or community action, need for leisure and relaxation, maintaining relationships with family and friends. There's so much that we could be engaged in, and that's leaving aside the whole realm of sort of vast opportunities for information and entertainment that are kind of being pumped towards us through various media forms much of the time. So there's a, there's a kind of a certain commitment that's required just to get here. And I'm aware that for some of you it would have been quite a journey, both physically to get away and sort out children or pets or house or partner, you know, or whatever it is that we might normally take care of on a weekend and just be able to be free from that for these days. that we kind of make a journey to this place. For some, it's the journey from the, from the other end of the building where some people on personal retreat are here for a longer period but come and join the weekend. And that's also a journey of a different sort. But nonetheless, the intentionality is really important and something honourable, something beautiful, actually, to me. And what we'll be engaged in here is something something noble, something beautiful to, to bring forth from our hearts the, the capacity for kindness and love that is inherent, that is very much actually the nature, an aspect, an expression of the nature of what it is that we are or what, is, what it is that's most true about what it means to be a human being. The fact that we care is right at the heart of that. 
And the fact that sometimes we're experiencing ourselves and others as something quite unconducive to that kindness being present is also very much part of what it means to be human. So we see there's a journey there. And yet there's something, I think for me, it seems really clear, in what brings us even to engage in spiritual practice. Whether if this is the first weekend you've done this sort of thing in your life, or whether you're someone who's coming back and re-engaging through an ongoing, sustained commitment over years or decades. There's something that, we could call it a, a spark or a flame in the, in the human heart, in the human spirit, that it's so important to nourish to support and to allow to grow. So in a way, that's what this retreat is about. There may be other particular things that you've come with as your own take on that interest, or it may sound to you like, not quite sure if what that guy up the front's talking about is what I'm interested in. That's okay. Let's just see where it goes. So coming to Guy House is really the first step. That's already part of the retreat, that moving into a space that's relatively secluded, that's relatively removed from many of the regular day-to-day concerns and activities, the engagements of our lives. And here together as a community, we can create an environment that's really supportive, that's really conducive and nurturing for what we're going to be doing together. And although each of us will be doing this by ourselves, and nobody can do it for somebody else, the fact that we can do that together is incredibly fortunate and incredibly supportive in this process. So I'd just like to invite you to take a moment to look around. You mostly have to look at me, whereas I get to look at all of you, and I think I get the better deal. You don't have to, but take a moment and see who's here. There's a room full of human beings, about 50-something people in this space. Now, my experience is pretty reliable, at least to my, from my perspective, that the people who come on retreats like this are, are kindly people, caring people. It's not to say we might not have our moments of reactivity or get lost in habits at times. Of course, we do. But just noticing what it's like to be including a sense of, oh, here's a group of human beings, these kind of sensitive, soft, gentle, caring, sometimes a bit scared, sometimes a bit excited, sometimes a bit nervous, sometimes a bit hopeful. That's what we are. Maybe relaxed and enjoying things, maybe wondering if I've come to the right place. Who knows? But together we create the retreat for each other and for ourselves. And so together we create a framework that I'd like to speak about because it's something that really I and Guy House ask everyone to co-participate in. And the first element of that is what we call the silence. Coming to spend a period of time, a weekend, in silence. Again, for some of you, it's familiar a well-known element, we could say, or environment. For others, you're probably still wondering, what's that going to be like? What's going to happen? You've probably been assured 
by friends, family, co-workers, that there's no way that you could be silent for a whole weekend. I mean, the, the taxi driver bringing me here this evening, she was saying, oh, I thought it would be a nice thing to do. Yeah, it's probably good. She brings people here all the time. She knows, and she's heard from them that it's a good place, but oh, I don't think I could be silent, she says. Funny, huh? And yet maybe not funny. It's so far from our normal mode, isn't it? Where forms of communication, of interaction are going on all the time. And in our current culture, it's harder and harder to find a space where some form of information or communication isn't coming towards you in some way or form. And mostly we carry with us all bits of equipment designed to make sure that keeps happening. So coming into the silence is a chance to put down That externalised engagement with words, with people, with relating, with trying to present someone called me to the world and hoping that everybody in the world is going to like what it is that I've presented. Because that's a lot of what's going on when we're kind of engaged in general social interchanges, communication. It's not a bad thing. But here we put it down to have the chance to spend some time with ourselves. So the silence is a way of spending time with ourselves together. Because if we would go and spend the weekend in a cave or on a mountaintop or under a, um, a tree in some sort of forest in the, the wilderness, we wouldn't be talking because there'd be no one to talk to. It would just be natural. We wouldn't talk about being in silence. But it would be much harder probably for most of us to do that. And so here we do it together. And silence doesn't mean there won't be any talking. You've probably already noticed that I've been talking for the last 20 minutes and I'll be talking some more. And there will be some opportunities for you also to speak a little, if you wish, um, with regard to your experience in the practice. But in terms of silence, what we have the opportunity to offer to ourselves and each other is a kind of a sensitive safety where we no longer have to kind of perform or articulate some kind of story about who I am. We no longer have to be so concerned with whether you or they, he or she or whoever will like me. It's just uh, human beings here together. When we step away from the world of words, we start to naturally sense or become sensitive to some of the more powerful but subtle resonances of our lives, of our hearts, our minds, our bodies. It's very easy in in discourse and language and words to become kind of distanced from what's really going on, to live in concepts and ideas and storylines, which have a value and a place. None of us would have got here without being able to sort of operate in that way, but which also have a limitation to them. And being in silence together gives us an opportunity to, dis- to explore <clears throat> and see what we might discover in that being with ourselves, encountering our own experience. And as if we wanted to make friends with someone. You know, we could read all about them in a book, we could ask their friends and family all about them. It'd be one way to get to know somebody. Or maybe we'd go on the internet today and we'd Google them, see what Wikipedia has to say about them. Or look on their what Facebook or you know all that. Well, the obvious thing is, wouldn't you spend some time with somebody if you want to get to know them? Isn't that the obvious thing? 
And if you spend time with lots of people, it's harder to get to know one person. Getting to know ourselves, actually spend some time with this person. The, the taxi driver, she said to me, oh, I don't think I really like my own company. She didn't want to come. I wasn't going to try and drag her in, of course, but um, there was a sense I had, oh, that's sad, isn't it? We're going to spend a lot of time with ourselves in our life. The one person that we spend our whole life with, in fact. Might as well make friends. Don't have to like everything we find. We might as well make friends. And this is also very much part of the invitation and the spirit of loving-kindness meditation. Exploring what it means to make friends with ourselves. And so in that, the silence that's here, which is really the invitation and request to refrain from engaging in conversation with each other. Not writing notes, not sending texts, not speaking to each other. Not as a way to push everyone away, not as a kind of, you know, they're all bad and I'm not going to talk to them, or I'm, I've, I've been naughty and nobody's talking to me. Some of our associations, we can use silence as a punishment or as a withdrawal, but more out of a sense of, okay, what kind of friendliness might we discover in our hearts towards ourselves and each other when we're not engaged in the normal activity of speaking? So this might be challenging for some, particularly if you've come here with friends, family, um, partners, or you've just met someone over dinner who you really enjoyed meeting and want to get to know a little more. You might have a feeling, oh, I'd like to talk to them. And there'll be some chance, an opportunity to speak with your companions here at the end of the retreat. But from now until then, I would ask and ask very clearly and firmly that you give yourself to the silence. And see what that's like for you. If you find it really difficult, let me know. Leave me a note. Come and find me. Grab me if you have to. It's okay. That's my role. But don't grab someone else or start talking to your friend saying, how are they doing? If you're worried about your friend, leave me a note and I'll check on how they're doing. You don't need to. when the words stop and we maybe notice the, the quality or the texture of silence because it's been spoken about. Maybe you have a little sense of what it might offer if this isn't something you're familiar with. It is something that human beings, people like ourselves, like you and me, women and men, throughout the ages, through and around all parts of this globe, people have chosen to spend time in silence and solitude as a support and a profound contribution to spiritual development and unfoldment and discovery. And so we're kind of aligning ourselves also with a powerful current in the human heart and the human, the generations of, of human life on this earth and although it's probably a relatively small proportion of people who will ever spend even a weekend in silence, it's nonetheless a significant proportion in its impact in the world. So another element of the silence, which I've kind of alluded to, but I need to say really clearly, and I hope you can hear, is that all those really wonderful, amazing, fun bits of technology that we carry around with us. Phones, computers, tablets, 
and whatever else that make life so easy and that allow us to keep in touch with those we love and get to know those who we don't and all of that, turn them off, put them away. Don't touch them if you can possibly manage it. And if you rely on it for your, your alarm clock, um, actually there'll be a bell to wake you up. You don't need it. And if you don't think you can leave it alone for the weekend, give it to me. I'll look after it. I'll give it back to you at the end. I won't make any long phone calls or use up all your bandwidth allowance or anything like that. There's something about putting it all down that's really helpful. And hard for us. So that's why I say it. And some of you are thinking, he doesn't need to say it again. I've heard it. But I know for some, it's hard. And I've had so many conversations over the years with someone who said, oh, I just in the middle of a retreat, thought I'd check my messages or wanted to be in touch with someone or I just needed to see if that email had come. And then they tell me about then what happened for them and their experience and, oh my gosh, that wasn't so helpful. So again, if you feel you really need to, come and talk to me about it and we'll see if that's what you really need or that would really serve you. And it will certainly serve everybody else to support each other in the same way with the silence in that regard. So with that also, the world of reading and writing. It's another version of living our life through language. We'll be using some language and forms in the forms of the meditation. It's not that we won't be using words. But for now, when there's some space where there's not too much going on, my real invitation and encouragement to you is to let yourself have the space. Don't fill it up with something to do something interesting or entertaining or even spiritually enlightening to read. Just, again, like the laptops or the tablets or the phones or whatever else, leave any books you brought with you at the bottom of your suitcase or pack and you can pick them up again on Sunday afternoon. So it's like we're kind of clearing the space. Our lives can feel so full. It can be a sense of, oh, finally got there to the retreat. Now I don't need to do all those things. And yet it's easy to discover that something in us quite likes having all those things to do that we get so busy with, so tired by, so stressed by at times. So again, that's why the shared commitment is really important, that we do this together for ourselves, but also for each other. And in that, again, we're aligning with the spirit of what we're engaging with here is coming out of a caring for our well-being and for the well-being of others. And really, that orientation is what brings fulfillment and happiness in life, perhaps above all others. So part of what we, even in the very beginning here, orienting towards that seeing what that might involve for you, for me, for each of us. And with the silence and that kind of just letting things be simple. The other primary foundation of the retreat that we established together is a, a commitment to, to non-harming, expressed in the, in the Buddhist tradition as the five precepts, that is born of a recognition that none of us likes to suffer. None of us likes to be hurt. I don't know anyone who likes it. 
And if you've come here, if, if you did come, you know, come here thinking that's what I like, maybe there might be something else that's more important than that. I think it's kind of maybe too obvious to even say. But we don't like to suffer. And if we ourselves don't like to suffer, then doesn't it make sense that we would act in such a way so far as we can that we don't cause other people to suffer? I mean, this isn't rocket science. This isn't something you haven't heard before. I'm not saying, thinking, gosh, they won't have thought of this. But at the same time, it's really interesting how in our world that understanding seems to somehow be absent from activity and action. There's such a good reason for disregarding it, it seems. And yet, actually, there are really very few good reasons for disregarding this if we're interested in being happy. And so a foundation for the retreat, a foundation for our practice is to have this inner orientation towards so far as possible not causing harm to others or ourselves. It doesn't mean we're perfect and that we'll never impact anyone. We can't help but affect and impact other people and other beings. But that the intention is one of, oh, out of care for others and care for myself, so far as I can I wish to not do so. And that's the spirit in which these five training guidelines or precepts are expressed. It's not some kind of moral, thou shalt not, because if you do, you, 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 know, you go and wear it's hot. It's more, oh, okay, this is how a noble life is lived. A noble life is expressed. And if we wish to live that sort of life, this makes sense. So, so the training rules, the guidelines, are to refrain from taking life or causing harm to living beings. Not just, you know, human beings, but little little beings that sort of crawl and slither and flop about. They're the ones we're most likely to disregard, you know. Guy House is a sanctuary for everything that lives here. So far as we're able to, within the law, that's how this place operates. And so for ourselves, just having a sense of care and respect for any creatures you might encounter. This is their home too. And if you don't particularly want them to co-inhabit your space, that's okay if you want to remove them, but do it gently. Um, And remember that they'll probably still be here when we're gone. On Sunday. And the second precept concerns not taking that which isn't freely given to us. Understanding how much suffering arises when those things that are ours are taken or misused without our permission. To be respectful to the things of others. To be respectful to those things that belong to Gaia House also. We can sometimes disregard the things that we believe belong to institutions when in fact the institutions are just made up of people who will be affected if we don't care for the things. And that sense of what's offered to us. There's a lot that's offered to us to receive it, to enjoy it. And what isn't, we say, okay, I can respect that. The third precept is in general daily living to refrain from causing harm through sexual activities. And it's about causing harm through our sexuality. In the context of retreat, we ask a more we could say challenging and perhaps a more simplifying way in this it's to refrain from sexual activity of any kind or form that's intentional 
just putting down that whole realm of engagement, both inner engagement and outer engagement, so that we can be here together just as human beings. That we're not looking at each other as, maybe I'm interested, maybe I'm not, maybe they're interested, maybe they're not. That whole dance that goes on, some of the time for some of us, maybe not for all of us, certainly not all of the time, that can kind of very easily entangle us and powerful and not always skillful patterns and behaviours. So something here about, okay, here we are, human beings, just for now. It's not, it's not making any moral or value judgment on sexuality, which can be a, a wonderful part of a human life if one chooses to have that as part of it. But for the retreat, that we put it down. And so if thoughts or images arise, we just that's what's there, but it's not to act on them. The fourth precept is to refrain from causing harm through speech. And in that speech, for the most part, we'll be in silence, at least you will be, so that makes it easy for you. Um, and any opportunities where we might have for speaking, just being aware of speaking what is true and what is useful. This was the Buddha's guideline. It's very lovely, I think. What is true and what is useful. So it's not just because it's true we have to tell everybody. Like we figured out what's wrong with them, we're going to tell them because it's true. It's not always useful. We need to find the right time or the right tone. And to speak in a gentle voice is often helpful. This is what the Buddha suggested. Now, one thing we will probably notice, at least maybe many of us, is that sometimes we're speaking to ourselves in the silence. It's one of the things we notice when we stop engaging so much outwardly is we realize, oh, we're speaking to ourselves quite a lot. And sometimes what we're saying to ourselves isn't kind, isn't true, isn't helpful, and isn't gentle. So being aware of that, not to judge if that's what you notice, but saying, oh, okay, this isn't skillful or useful here. What would it be to just, okay, not have so much to say to ourselves about ourselves? We'll probably touch on that a little more. But there's a real kindness in that. Towards ourselves. So just, okay, let let how I relate to myself, how I speak to myself, so far as I can, let that come from kindness. What might that be for us if we would relate to ourselves inwardly, speak to ourselves inwardly from kindness? The fifth precept is to refrain from the use of drugs, alcohol, intoxicants, substances that may cloud the mind, easily leading to carelessness and actions that we later regret, that harm others, that harm ourselves. In the context of the retreat, just saying absolutely no, we won't engage with that. And for many of us that's obvious and straightforward, and that's fine, great. And for some people it's a challenge. For some people, it's one of the most important things in their life is to be able to say, no, I will not engage with those kind of substances. And being here together as a community, supporting all of us in that way is really important. So what this, this precept is about intoxicants, and actually some of the most powerful modern intoxicants are our relationship to media and input of television, computer, entertainment. It keeps us sort of disconnected, sort of comfortably numb, I think is the phrase from a Pink Floyd song. Um, and that, you know, that, that isn't what we're here for. We're here to see what's true and to open our hearts to what's true. 
And, uh, and so we might find our challenges again and in terms of intoxication is the way we're almost intoxicated with our own mind's capacity to generate stories and fantasies and images and problems and solutions and more problems and more solutions and all of that. And to not be so intoxicated with that is also a very important training. But with that, of course, there are sometimes when we're using some form of medicine for body or mind, for our well-being. And it's really fine and appropriate and important, in fact, that we continue to make use of that if that's what we're using as part of what supports our well-being. So that's not something that the precept of refraining from taking drugs and alcohol is um, directed towards. And I always remember how one of my first teachers, he would comment after speaking about the precepts, he would say, imagine what the world would be like if all human beings followed just one, any one of those five guidelines in their lives, consistently and reliably. Imagine what the world would be like. It would be so different. It would be so different. Imagine then the world of human beings would follow all five of those precepts. What a world we would live in. So different. If we said that is more important than all the good reasons people come up with for not following them. And you know, for the time we have here together, we can create in a certain way that world in our community here. And we do create that. And that's part of its power. The power of what we will be doing here together. And so... So I ask each and every one of you here, as everybody at Guy House has asked, to, to undertake these precepts, these guidelines. And by that I don't, I don't mean that somehow then you have to somehow be absolutely perfect at it and that any breach of it is some catastrophic failure of your retreat or blemish upon your character forever, but more that that's your intention and that if in some way you realize you haven't quite managed to maintain it, you be aware of that, notice what happens as a result, and then see if you can just recommit again. And that's really what the Spirit, these are training precepts. And in the monasteries, and um, though I've never been an uh, ordained monk myself, I've spent quite some time in various monasteries, one of the beautiful practices they do is every two weeks they sit down and they all speak about all the ways they've got their precepts wrong or they've done it wrong, and they even point out to other people who haven't noticed what they've done wrong in a kind way, oh, I think you might have done that. you know. But most importantly, they say, oh, look, I didn't manage that one, and oops, I got this one. But, mm. And they just acknowledge it, and they bow to each other, and then they say, okay, now we take these precepts again, and now I will commit again. Something very powerful, something very beautiful about that. And it kind of expresses the spirit of our practice, that we orient towards, we set an intention and move towards a certain possibility and we might have to keep coming back and re-engaging and re-engaging that intention, that aspiration, that commitment. And that will be a part of what we'll be doing together in our practice. But for now, in terms of the retreat, entering into this, entering into the silence, entering into the, the undertaking of precepts, this is what actually makes this a sacred space. And not sacred in some kind of esoteric, otherworldly sort of thing, sort of strange way, but sacred in terms of open and supportive for the deepening of our potential as human beings. 
what is possible for us, for you, for me, for each of us, in fact for everyone, for all beings. What is possible for us is remarkable and beyond what we may have imagined. Meditation has become something quite familiar in our culture now. Mindfulness has become sort of normalised in ways that are both wonderful because it doesn't scare people and people actually think and have positive associations with it now more than negative ones. But in another way, it's very easy also for it to become just another thing you do to feel a bit better or another kind of technology for improving experience. And it's got so much more potential than that. And what we'll be engaged in here isn't so much mindfulness meditation, but metta meditation, which has an element of mindfulness in it. But metta, which is the word the Buddha used for loving kindness or a sense of friendliness and caring, the natural expression of the fact that we care. And the fact that we are sensitive, caring human beings. This practice is one in which we'll be orienting towards that capacity and engaging in a mode of practice that supports that capacity. But initially what's important is really just allowing ourselves to land and to connect with the caring and the sensitivity of what it means to be, who and what it is that we are as human beings. And I'd like to speak some about that in a moment and how we can begin to engage with that. But I'm just aware we've been now sitting for about 40, 45 minutes and some of you perhaps a little longer than that. It might be useful just to take a moment to stretch and bend and move. Um, We won't be here too much longer so I'd ask that you stay here unless you're having a a kind of a biological emergency um, which is really the exception to almost all rules. But if you'd like to stand up, stretch, I notice my knees and my shoulders get a little sore. You might not feel you need to, but there might also be something you could ask yourself. What would be an expression of kindness to my body right now? Would it be to let it relax in a heap on the floor? Or to stand up and stretch? I know my body likes to stretch. Even though something about it seems to like to sort of get tight and shut, sort of sort of holding around the shoulders when I spend too long at my desk. So I don't know if it likes to do that, but it certainly does that. Just having a sense, this, you know, this human body can go through our days kind of using it, not necessarily thinking in terms of caring for it. But we're really lucky that we've got one. For all that it may not be quite as we would wish it to be sometimes... <coughs> This would be much harder if we didn't have a body. That's one of my teachers once said. So just see if you've done what you need to do. Stretched, bent, wiggled, wobbled. <coughs> Notice if there was something you would have quite liked to do but didn't think it was okay. Jumping up and down. As long as that doesn't involve impacting physically onto someone else. For the most part, the space isn't one in which you're going to be free or invited to move about or to do sort of general aerobics or calisthenics or whatever sort of tai chi, qigong, yoga you might be into. Um, But it's fine to do it outside or in your room or in a space where you're not going to be bumping into someone.
The word that the Buddha used for what we call meditation is, is bhavana. Bhavana translates actually more usefully into the word and more precisely, I think, into the word cultivation than meditation. Meditation often has a kind of association for us that's a bit sort of tight or pushy or perhaps a little mentally centered. Certainly one can meditate on a whole bunch of conceptual material by thinking about it and call that meditation. So, not that there's a problem with the word meditation, it's fine, but there's something about cultivation. This capacity that, you know, we bring forth something that we allow to grow, to develop, to flower, to bear fruit. And I think there's something natural and organic in that sense of cultivation. We don't make the results happen in the process of meditation and the journey of spiritual development. It doesn't something that comes out of the fact that we kind of somehow by force of will and effort engineer the outcome to be a particular way. It's much more about aligning ourselves and orienting ourselves towards that which is wholesome, that which is nourishing, that which is noble, and allowing that orientation to support the development without imagining that it necessarily determines how it will unfold. It's probably the true that for many of us, we probably true that for many of us, and certainly I think this was the case for myself, when I first got involved with meditation practice, I had no idea where it could take me. I had no idea of what was possible. I kind of had a sense that something more might be possible than what I'd so far discovered. That's enough to begin with. That more is possible for us than we have so far discovered. And that continues to be true. Whether we're doing this for the very first time tonight or whether we've been doing this for decades. And that's kind of one of the lovely things about it. The the word the Buddha used was leading onwards. This is something that leads onwards. And that uh, there's ever more to discover. The quality of kindness and the potential of the heart for a boundless friendliness is something that can expand and keep expanding. There is no ultimate limit to where that can go, to what that can mean for us. And it's interesting that sometimes the practice of loving kindness is sort of spoken of as a bit of an adjunct to the real thing. It's sort of meditation and insight meditation tradition and other traditions and it's a sort of or it's the sort of thing you you do if you're having a bit of hard time or struggling with what's going on and so then it's kind of almost like a sort of a second grade practice. In I'm not saying that's your view, but that's sometimes how it's kind of related to. And yet it's really coming out of an expression of understanding something that goes to the very heart and the very depths of what spiritual teachings are pointing towards. And the Buddha himself, when once asked by his uh, 
his disciple and also attendant, good friend and cousin, Ananda, who was with him for much of his teaching life, Ananda once said to him, this is famous sort of conversation that many of you perhaps, or some of you will have heard before, he says, Ananda said to the Buddha, he says, Lord, is it not true that half of our practice is for the development of loving kindness? And these, they were both monks, essentially, renunciate um, sort of uh, wanderers. And so their practice is what they're doing all day, every day. That's not something they do just in the morning or on occasional weekend. And is it not so that half of our practice is for the development of loving kindness? And the Buddha's response, he says, no, Ananda, it would not be true to say this. It would be true to say that all of our practice is for the development of loving kindness. The opening of our heart, the dissolution of the the boundaries that we construct, that, that are constructed, that are not innate, the boundaries that we construct within our ideas of ourselves and each other and within the patterns of our habitual and often unconscious behavior that limit the flow of kindness, of love. These boundaries, these limitations, are the primary element of what binds us in life, what limits us in life, and what operates as the obstacle to or the opponent of of a universality of care and connection amongst human beings and amongst living beings. And in fact, including all that which lives, not even beings, but plants, and that which we think of as not sentient necessarily, the earth and the stones and the water. All of this actually is something which our hearts can come to understand without boundaries and divisions, to hold fully and deeply in our care. And this is both a pathway to to profound transformation and it is equally the fruition of that transformation. So... What we'll be engaging in here is something noble and and beautiful. And I'm really happy, as I said when I began, that you're here to engage in this. And I'm aware that that's probably quite a few words for you to digest for now. So... I'd like to uh, invite you to spend a little time in meditation. I'll speak a lot more about the meditation practice that we'll be working primarily with on this retreat tomorrow morning. And this is the the formal practice of of mentor, of loving kindness that we cultivate in a very particular way, which some of you will know and some of you will have the opportunity to get to know here. But... At this point, what's most important from, from my sense of it is, is that we, we start just 
reflecting on that sense of how we care about ourselves or others or how we find it difficult to care about ourselves and for others at times because that's equally part of the territory that's of interest, that's important here. And just noticing what it's like to, as I said, starting with our bodies, what's it like as you're sitting here to take a moment and just reflect on this body and that we're sitting here with it? Like what's supportive, what's a kindly attitude to my body right now as I sit here? Noticing if we're kind of forcing ourselves to be particularly upright because we think that's what we're supposed to be doing. Or if we're slumping in some kind of position. I'm exaggerating here, obviously, because it feels like that's comfortable and it's hard work to sit upright. But actually, as far as the lungs or the belly or the heart are concerned, it's actually it's not very kind to this body to slump because all those organs and they have to work so much harder when we do that. So finding a sense of uprightness and openness that's not tight and rigid and trying to look good, but equally isn't sort of too casual or sort of disrespectful of our body. <clears throat> and what will support that for most of us is just some sense of connecting with the earth, with the ground, with the floor, with what it is that we rest upon. If you're sitting in a chair, generally really helpful to have your feet on the ground. If that requires you to put a cushion on the seat so that you can um, be a bit higher off the ground or put a cushion on the floor so your feet can rest on the ground depending whether you have long legs or short legs, because the chairs are just you know one size and it doesn't fit all, it's worth taking a few moments just to do that. If you're sitting on the, on the ground, and if your knees are hanging up in the air, it's really useful to just take something if you've got something, or maybe later at the end of the sitting to get something. And if your knee tends to hang about here when you're sitting on the ground, stick something under it so that it's got something to lean on. So you're connected. And that will be supportive for your body. There are plenty of blankets and cushions in the back if you need more. And I'll speak some more about posture tomorrow. But again, just my wish in this is that orienting towards, okay, there's a kindly, respectful, supportive intention here. Even just in sitting for meditation. Allowing the body to be upright. So there's space, there's openness, there's a sense of engagement intentionality and at the same time relaxing softening becoming aware perhaps if you're holding tension in your face around the eyes or the temples perhaps the jaw or the lips the tongue just allowing it to soften or let go just as far as it does not forcing likewise around the neck and the shoulders just allowing that to soften And gently and consciously, more fully inhabiting your body. And you can allow your eyes to be closed, unless you're really drowsy, in which case maybe having them half open, softly focused on the floor in front of you. Not looking around. But just sensing your body sitting here breathing. Not trying to focus on a particular point in the breathing process, but just feeling the fluid, rhythmic 
sensory experience. As you draw the breath in and release it. Or more accurately, as the body draws the breath in and releases it. Because, of course, it does it quite well by itself. And we can come close to that experience or closer to that experience as a way of connecting with our body, as a way of being present right here, which is an essential foundation for everything we'll be doing. And also as a way of just acknowledging and honoring the sensitivity and the vulnerability of our life that breathes and that sustains this life, sustains only so long as it breathes. And so we might have the tendency to think about breathing or make images of breathing, but just for now, seeing if you can feel what it is that lets you know your body is breathing. The ripple and flow of movement, of sensation, of the air moving within the breathing channels or the chest. The movement of the body as it expands and contracts, perhaps moving against your clothing. And letting yourself settle into this experience of being here. As an expression of kindness to yourselves, having no demand or expectation that it should feel a certain way or produce a particular outcome. But just being here in order to be here. Just as you are. And letting that sense, that felt experience of your body breathing, letting that be the the pole or the anchor around which you orient, the central field of your experience, so that although other experiences may arise, sounds, sensations, feelings, thoughts, images, emotions, that although they might arise, we may, if they do arise, simply notice that they're here without pushing them away or pursuing them, just coming back to the sense of this body breathing and a sense of offering yourself the space to be here. This is what we're doing. It's an expression of profound kindness, offering yourself the space to be here. And the support to connect again and again whenever we find ourselves somewhere else. So we can always begin again right here. And the mind may pull enthusiastically 
in many directions, but we just come back. This body breathing in. This body breathing out. Just as it is. Meeting this experience just as you are. And so we'll sit together quietly for a few minutes, just five or ten in this way.
So it's just ten minutes after nine, and I've um, just got a couple of practical things to just to let you know about before we finish. So we're pretty much done, and uh, just want to invite you if there's anything you need to do to just kind of get complete before beginning your retreat. If you need to let some friends or family know that you're on retreat and you won't be speaking to them this weekend, just so they don't have to be worried about you. Um, it's kind of sometimes a good thing to do. And equally, if there's any last little businessy thing that just needs to be signed off or dealt with, to do it so that if you can, do it. And if you can't do it, then making the intention to leave it to a Sunday so that we really give yourself the space of this weekend really fully. Tomorrow morning we'll have a wake-up bell at 630 and a first meditation together at 7 o'clock in the morning till 7.30 here, which will be breakfast time, 7.30. And after breakfast at 8.15, there will be a uh, one-hour work period. And after that, at um, 9.30, we'll come back together again. And in that sitting at 9.30, I'll outline in um, quite some detail the the development or the the form and the development of the practice that we'll be using through much of the weekend, the formal loving-kindness practice. Between now and then, and so for the sitting in the morning, it's really much more about just allowing yourself to land here, which is going to be supported by just remembering where you are. And so far as you can, letting go of where you're not, which is all of what was going on before you got here and what will be going on after you leave here and even what will be happening you know, tomorrow morning at this point. That's the future. It's a long way away. And so, again, as an expression of kindness to yourself, to let yourself really be here, to give yourself the space inwardly that you've created for yourself by bringing yourself here. And if you've got roommates, as many of you will do, it's fine if you need to just check in briefly to make sure you know that, yes, you do need to have a window open or you don't like to have a window open. Can we have that window open or this window open? You don't have to do that with sign language. It gets really complicated. So if there's something simple and practical that needs to be arranged, just do it and then say thank you and, again, putting that kind of communication down. Um, the rest of the morning will continue. Um, the schedule should have been posted probably during the sitting, so you'll see what's happening for the rest of the day. But it's really just going to be meditation meditation and mealtimes. And I'll say you how it unfolds as we go. But at this point, I want to check, does anyone have any practical questions about how to engage with um, the situation so far that you'd like to ask? You're very welcome. Yes? For yourself, you notice, yeah. Yes, yes, I understand, yeah. But you're saying the tendency for yourself is a wish to suppress it. Oh, okay. Right, so there's a concern, fathers, then. Okay, so that's great, good. Okay, well, that's lovely. Um, being in silence doesn't mean there won't be any sounds. There'll be all kinds of sounds. People moving, 
birds crowing, planes flying overhead, and all of that. What's important is really to do with intentional creation of sounds. So if, with your breathing, you're deliberately trying to breathe in a certain way, and it's making a noise, I'd really say, yeah, let's not do that. And sometimes we kind of unconsciously start to try and breathe in a certain way, we don't even realise we're doing it. And if we start to become aware of it, we can not do it. But if what happens with your breath is you just allow it to breathe naturally and organically, is that sometimes it's a little louder or more audible, that's just what it's doing. It's okay. Um, sometimes if we have a cold, or I, I once had a student on a retreat who had a particular configuration of their breathing passages that it, it just sounded like they were snoring whenever they breathed. And it, that, that had it all their life. It was really hard. People would think, would you, you know, please breathe more quietly, but it was the natural sound of their breathing. And so it doesn't sound, from what I've heard so far, that that's anybody's condition here, but if it was, that would be how it is. So um, there's an interesting balance between really respectful of trying not to have an impact so far as we can on others that isn't supportive or helpful to them, but at the same time not having an impact on ourselves that isn't supportive by trying to somehow make sure I make no noise. And um, and with that, one of the things to notice is that what is helpful is to keep the mouth closed. Because sometimes when the mouth is open, then the breathing becomes louder through the mouth. But we'll see. I'm not imagining it will be a great concern. Um, but thank you for asking. And I hope that gives you the basis to find your own way with that. Good. It's... Uh, yeah, it's not an unusual sensitivity. I appreciate you naming it. Any other questions? Hmm. So what I also just want to mention then is that if at any point there is something that concerns you or you're not sure how to handle and you're really struggling with something, you're really welcome to leave me a note to let me know or if it's uh, kind of at the end of uh, some time when I'm giving some teaching to just, you know, ask, let me know if you want to ask a question. Um, and, of course, there are probably many questions we could come up with. So just having a sense of what might be the important question and what questions might be just questions that can wait. But uh, certainly if it's something that we use a feeling to be struggling with or in difficulty, um, that you're not sure how to handle, then, you know, you're very welcome to ask me or let me know that that's going on. So at this time, I think if there aren't any other questions, I'd like to wish you all a very good night's rest. Um, you might like to enjoy a hot cup or something, if that's your inclination at this time. And maybe even just wandering around a little bit. It's not really that late, 9.17. Um, but if you wish to go to bed, of course, you can go to bed and no one's going to say you're going to bed early because lots of people go to bed around now at Guy House. Um, but I'd also just like to express my, my wish and aspiration for this weekend for all of us that it really be a time that does contribute to our own well-being that serves also the welfare of others who our lives touch in this world, which we touch also. And so um, I look forward to the unfolding of the days and 
We'll continue tomorrow morning. Rest well, and may you all be well.